Welcome to World New Clash Class. Other side. Other side. Hey there, this is Pastor Jason, and on today's episode of World New Clash Class Other Side, we have John Engel, president of the New York State Secular Humanist Association. And we're discussing the worldview of humanism. How would you define humanism? Okay. Um, I have a, a few. I, I, I sort of figured that would be the first question. So, I, And instead of you know, trying to come up my own stuff. Well, some of this is my own stuff because I, I write for our uh, our newsletter. Um, but secular humanist, secular humanists live lives guided by reason and science, freed from religious and secular dogmas, motivated by an appreciation of life and the lives of others, centered on the supreme value of the individual human. Um, human uh, humanism is a progressive philosophy of life that with, without supernaturalism affirms our ability and responsibility to lead ethical lives of personal fulfillment and, that aspire to the greater good of humanity. Uh, we work to uphold equal enjoyment of human rights and civil liberties in an open secular society and maintain it as a civic duty to participate in the democratic process and the planetary duty to protect nature's integrity, diversity, and beauty in a secure and sustainable manner. Um, and you know, what, basically what it can come boil down to, like my organization is a chapter of the American Humanist Association. And they're the people who talk about being good without gods. Okay. In other words, we, we feel we have, humanists feel that we have an obligation to help every person that we can uh, achieve their fullest potential. Because that's what we think, um, is possible on, on, on earth. We don't look toward heaven for, you know, uh, a utopian kind of existence. We kind of feel like that could be here on earth if we all took care of each other, if we all took care of the world and took care of the environment. Uh, these are the things that are, you know, really important to us. So I would say that's a pretty good, um, you know, synopsis of, of what I see as humanism or frequently called secular humanism. Okay, so uh, that is a good definition. And obviously, uh, you, when you stumbled upon humanism, uh, you didn't have all that to go on. So what is it about the humanist worldview that attracted you? Well, I've, I've, um, I've never been particularly religious. And... But I've always felt that sense of community. I like helping people. I want to help my fellow man. And it was interesting. I do some lecturing on constitutional law. And the, the uh, Secular Humanist Society found out about me from somebody and asked me if I'd come give them a lecture. And I did. And I didn't really know anything about secular humanism as a thing until I went and, and I spoke with them and then I started you know, just, you know, sort of hanging out with them and going to some of their events and things like that. And I realized that it really suited me as a person. You know, there aren't that many types of communities that want to do 
good work, want to do things that help people, want to raise people up. Um, there aren't that many that aren't religious in nature, but I never felt very religious in nature. And so I felt kind of at home with the Secular Humanist Society. All right. So with the Secular Humanist Society, I mean, uh, both of us uh, within the next 50 years are going to be bones in the ground, probably. All right. So uh, what do you hope at that point will have been left behind? I mean, because there are lots of people out there that they don't care whether or not they leave a name behind. Um, I mean, but it seems like most of us human beings are legacy driven. We want to do something to push the ball forward. So would you agree with that statement first? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So what so. is it that you, John Engel, want to accomplish through secular humanism that is, is going to leave that legacy and is going to push that ball forward? Well, I think that um, there's the personal aspect of it, which in terms of I look at as my sons, you know, and when I, one of the things that, you know, I hopefully some of the lessons uh, that I've tried to impart to them. And listen, I don't pretend as, as I know I'm older than them and it gives me a certain level of perspective. But a lot of the things I try to teach them are things that, OK, I know I did this well and, you know, I hope you carry on. And some of the things are boy, did I mess that up? Mm. Don't do that, <laughs> you know? But I, I would like to, you know, leave an idea. Uh, first of all, most important thing is that we are all together on, on this planet and we have to treat each other as brothers and sisters. Mm. And that's, if, if I can, you know, inch that a little bit forward, I think that that's something that I, is really important to me. Um, from just in terms of secular humanism, uh, in and of itself, one of the things that's, that bothers me is that so many people look at some people who are not believers and automatically assume that they're not good people. And it's part of the reason why I'm talking to you tonight, because I feel like outreach is sort of part of uh, what I do. And so I, 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 I've had people I, to relate a little story. I went to a dinner party once and somebody asked me what I did. And I said, I'm president of the Secular Humanist Society. And, you know, somebody, I had, most of the people that I had never met before, except for the hosts, and someone said, oh, I hope you're not one of those God haters. And I just said to her, you know, hate's a terrible thing to carry around with mm. you. And I don't, you know, I, I try not to, to do that. But I spent some time with her and I think by the end of the evening, she liked me, at least a little. So I'm hoping, you know, I'm thinking, well, maybe, um, uh, maybe, you know, just that little interaction would have her say, hey, you know, secular people aren't necessarily bad people. Mm -hmm. uh, they, you know, they can be as, you know, they're just people like anybody else with a different, you know, worldview of them, different ideas. But I'll tell you what, sometimes people ask me, you know, being a non-religious person, what's my purpose in life? And to me, it's very simple. My purpose in life is to make myself a better person and make the world a better place. Mm. As much as like, you know, uh, I know that I have no power or ability to change big things, but maybe just a little something here and a little something there. And maybe when I leave this earth, Shuffle off the more shuffle off this mortal coil. Uh, I think that was Hamlet. 
Um, but anyway, uh, I think I'm not a big Shakespeare knowledge guy, but it, if I can do that, if I can have just in my own little way, make the world a little bit better. And also looking at myself, how do I make myself a better person? Mm. Uh, you know, I, I look towards those things. Um, and that's really where, what I would be looking to do. You know, I, if I could say just, if I could leave this earth and say, Hey, I helped somebody, you know, I helped somebody who was in need. I, you know, I put a smile on somebody's face at some point who was feeling down, you know, any little thing like that is to me, that's a life well lived and that's good enough for me. One thing that you you mentioned a couple times now, I just want to kind of step back before we step forward. Um, So you talked about um, humanity and us all treating one another like brothers and sisters. And you're talking uh, a lot about um, doing good for one another. You mentioned also um, helping each person to reach their full potential. So it seems to me, listening to what you're saying, that you hold uh, human life very high in value. Is that is that right? Yes, I would okay. say so. Yes. So, where does that value come from? From secular humanism, like why am I a valuable person to you? Or you know, I know why my sons are valuable to me. Why your sons are valuable to you? But as human beings, where does our value come from? Hmm. Let me uh, see if I can answer that. It's an interesting question. Um, in a lot of ways, it's just sort of um, innate. And I think we, a lot of it goes back to the issue of what I spoke about before, about every person reaching their potential. Mm-hmm. Because um, I look at every human being and say, that could be the next Beethoven. That could be the next uh, um, Einstein. That could be the next Jonas Salk, you know. And if and if the people are not do not reach their full potential, we all lose. We all lose that. That could have been the next, you know, etc. So one of the things that I see as being important in terms of everyone. Um, uh, of the value of every person is that um, is that is that what they can achieve? But it doesn't have to be some tremendous great thing. I mean, that's you know, it's nice. It's great to have Beethovens and Jonas Salks and people like that. But every person could reach their potential to be a really good parent, a really uh, a really good accountant, a really good um, bus driver. You know, whatever it may be. Um, that will make the world a better place. The, the, the constant goal in my mind is to make the world a better place. I look around, I see so much potential and I'm so saddened by hate and by violence um, and, and, and uncaring. Mm. Um, it, it, it really is upsetting to me. We could be better. I just think so. And so that's what, and, and I can, the value of every person is we can be better and every person can help us mm. all to be better. 
Um, there was a, there's an old saying, um, every, every man is, I don't know if I have this exactly right, but it's every man is my superior in that I can learn from him. Mm. So, um, you know, that's, you know, if you're not reaching your potential, you can't teach me what you could if you had reached your potential. Mm. Yeah. So that makes sense. I, I understand where you're coming from there. So um, just from my perspective, just so I can share this with you, I'm sure you've heard this you know, a, a hundred thousand times, but um, my uh, perception of the value of human life is uh, from, from the first movement um, to the last movement, from the first movement of life until the last movement of life. And that is because uh, the Bible teaches me that we are made in the image of God. So we have uh, dignity and value and that value that, that I have needs to be for you and for all people. That's for atheists, for humanists, uh, for, for Mormons, um, you know, for, for Catholics, you know, no, no matter what everyone believes, uh, the Bible calls me to look on you, to look on all people as made in the image of God. So the value that, um, that I see people having are in the fact that they were made in the image of God and, that's one of the reasons why I like to ask questions like this because mm -hmm. I was an atheist for a long time and I didn't believe that human life had value. So right. I had a difficult time before coming to the Christian faith in, in looking and seeing how valuable human life is and what a precious gift this life we have is. So that's, that's where my value of human life comes from is, uh, is simply from the biblical teaching. And it's really interesting that when we look on society, we look on humanity, there seems to be a fundamental problem. And it seems as though, and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so correct me if I'm wrong. No matter whether we're coming at this from Christianity, from Judaism, uh, you know, from, from humanism, we want to fix the errors in humanity. We want to fix what's broken. Do, do you agree with that? I'm, I'm not sure because, I, to be honest, I'm not sure what you mean by fix what's broken. I, I, I see, you know, that, um, you know, certainly as human beings, we could be doing better. Oh. Uh, we, could, we could, you know, uh, love our neighbor more and we can uh, care for the downtrodden and people don't have any, you know, people who have less than us. Yeah, uh, we could we could do that better um, if that's what you mean by fix humanity. I'm not, I'm not entirely. Uh, I'm not sure I understand. Right. Uh, so when we hear about a, a shooting in a school, there's not one person alive, living or breathing, that I believe thinks that's a good thing. Not one. When you and I attend a funeral. It's not just that we're letting go of someone. It doesn't feel right that someone died. And, you know, when we lose a loved one, it's not like tomorrow that's better. It takes a lot of time for that void to be filled. And the question is, is it ever filled? I mean, is there ever a time when that person is, is actually gone from your life? So it looks to me as though there is a problem because death shouldn't be. And I know from a secular um, point of view, perhaps perhaps that statement's not uh, not agreeable. So let me also put out there: cancer shouldn't be. Sure. We shouldn't have to watch a four-year-old suffer 
um, with cancer and die. So I see problems within humanity that are specific to the human race that I want to see a solution for. Is that cleared up at all? Yeah, I think so. I okay. Think so. Yeah. Um, that, that's that's kind of where I was headed with this next. Yeah, so well, well, listen, I, 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 you know, I certainly, you know, see the same things. You know, um, uh, Robert Kennedy said some people, if I can get this right too, some people uh, look at the world as it is and say, why? I look at the world as it should be and say, why not? Okay. So, you know, it, it's, 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 uh, there are plenty of things that I wish were better about this world. And again, I will try to do my little piece to, to make it better if I can, you know, whatever I can do. And that's really, that's really the amazing part that I, I would suspect we both see, but again, I don't want to put words in your mouth. All of us want to contribute in some way, whether it's with conversations with people, sometimes people get kind of carried away with that stuff, you know, uh, or we want to donate to St. Jude's to make sure kids can get, um, can get the treatment that they need. You know, there's all kinds of, of things that we want to do, humanitarian efforts to try to fix the problem that's out there. Or do you agree with that? Hey, listen, I just um, actually sent a uh, donation to St. Jude's last week. It was in memory of my uncle who passed away last week. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I, I agree with that. Just in that act of doing that, you yeah. know, to sending the gift to St. Jude's in memory of my uncle, it's a legacy for him. Uh, you know, how do you live on after you die? If, yeah. if you're someone like me who doesn't believe that there's a soul that, you know, that, that continues to live on. If you are someone like me who thinks that your consciousness ends when you die, how do you live on? Mm. And I think you live on in, in the hopefully good works you've done memories of people. And, um, that will, that gift that I sent to St. Jude's will help my uncle live on in a, in a, in a, not in a, um, not in a way that is, uh, you know, concrete, but in a way that is something good coming from, it's, it's almost like um, if a person dies and if they get buried and then a tree grows from where they were buried, you know what I mean? It's mm. like, uh, okay, they're, you know, we carry on, you know, the world carries on and you, you know, my uncle who was a real good guy, um, he helped make the world a better place. He lives on in, in my memories and the memories of all the people. And there were a lot who loved him and uh, maybe live on, maybe some kid gets better a little bit, uh, you know, gets helped and a family gets helped because mm. of the gift that I gave to St. Jude's on my uncle's behalf. Mm. So, so that's how, you know, there's a, a, a Jewish word, a, a Hebrew word, tikkun. It means heal the world. And that's sort of, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, all Jewish people. And I still consider myself to be ethnically and culturally Jewish, even though I am not religious. Um, and so that word tikkun is important to me, you know, heal the world. And, you know, this sort of carries on a, a legacy for him. And to, to me, that's how you live on. That's how we achieve, you know, uh, in, in a way, its own sort of immortality. Not, not actually, but um, a little piece of you is still there.
Buddhism. So, so far, just I, I, what I see from, from what, we've, uh, what we've been talking about so far, I think that we are, we are in agreement that um, human life has, has value. Mm-hmm. Where that value comes from, we're, we're not in agreement with, but we both agree that human life has value. And at the same time, uh, we also agree that there are problems with this world, and we also agree that uh, we want to fix them. Is that accurate so far, you think? I would say so, yes, sir. All right. So, um, uh, moving on to the, to the next issue is, um, is evil. Um, and I really don't think that there's a whole lot of uh, need to go into the evils of this world. I know you see them. Um, I, I know I see them. You and I both see that human life has value. You and I both want um, to, to contribute to the greater good and not contribute to evil. So my point is bringing that up at all is simply the fact that you and I, I'm sure, would both look on the same situations, maybe not every situation, and maybe not see equality in evil, but be able to say that ought not be done. That is wrong. Of course. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. From the biblical worldview, the main problem with humanity, and I I know you know this because you've talked to many Christians and and I I know you live in the melting pot, um, but the main problem is the evil. So the way the Bible teaches uh, us how life began was God made everything good and he gave man some simple instructions. He said, this is all yours except that. Just don't touch that one thing. Just that one tree. Don't eat from that tree. You can eat from any other tree. Adam could have eaten from the tree of life and lived forever. God said, just, just the one tree. That's the only tree you can't eat from. Just that one. So even if you disagree that this is a story, it doesn't matter. Um, the, the point is he ate from the one tree and when he did that, he willfully disobeyed. So this just the same as uh, you and I with our children. I mean, your children are grown now, but you did discipline them when they needed it, right? Yeah, of I, course. Yeah, that's cool. I, do, I also believe very much in positive reinforcement. I think that works better than negative reinforcement. There still has to be some level of personal responsibility. So Adam knew what he shouldn't do. He knew what the consequence would be. He did it anyway. And because of that, the curse comes on all of us. So... From my perspective, from the biblical perspective, God made all things good. He made us good. He made us in his image. We messed up. We made a choice to bring this on ourselves. So now this needs to be fixed. So when I look, and I I don't want to put words in your mouth, John, please understand that and correct me if, if, if it's needed at all. When I listen to you and I listen to anyone else that doesn't believe as I do, I still see the same framework. Even if you don't believe in the Bible, you don't believe in the eternal soul, you don't believe Adam and Eve ever existed, I still see the same framework in living. There is a problem that needs to be fixed. If you don't agree that it's sin or that it's evil, that's fine. You do want people to reach their full potential, which means you don't want them to be kept down in the dumps. So there must be a problem that we're working on fixing, right? Yes, absolutely. So as a framework... No matter who I talk to, where they come from, what their life is about, what they've done, everyone seems to see a problem with humanity and they want to contribute in some way to take away the suffering in the world. They do want to see something happen to to change what is broken. And what I appreciate about this conversation with you is 
you're telling me exactly how you think that ought to be done. And you're also taking steps to see that through. Right. Human life is valuable because we were created as special. You see humanity as special. I see humanity as special. The problem is our foundation. But I don't think we were created. I don't think we were created for anything. I see what's here. I'm a very linear, a very uh, practical person. And I see what's here. And, and, and um, so I see what's, I don't think I was created. I don't think I was created for anything. I believe in evolution by natural selection. That's how human beings came about. Um, that's how every, and every, by the way, every living, every species that has ever existed in this planet is related to every other species. I'm related to a, a, a lobster, to a cockroach, to a, uh, you know, to a, to a spotted owl, because that's the way I believe that human beings and every creature on this planet came about. But I do also want to address something when you say, I don't, you know, see, you know, that, uh, you know, obviously I don't believe in, in, you know, the literacy of the Bible, you know, in any way, shape or form. And there are also, you talk about disobeying. Um, one of the stories from the Bible that, that, you know, I learned in a kid in Sunday school that always bugged the heck out of me was the story, of, and I would love to rewrite it, <laughs> you know, as a writer, as an editor, I like to rewrite things. Uh, the story of um, God and Abraham and Isaac, when God tells Abraham to kill Isaac, and, um, and I, I, Isaac's just about to do it, and God stops Isaac from doing it. I'm sorry, stops Abraham from killing Isaac. Yeah. That's always bothered the heck out of me. Because if I could rewrite that story, what, what Abraham would say to God was, I will not kill this child. This child did nothing wrong. And, um, and at that point, God would say to Abraham, you have now passed the test because no one should do evil because anybody tells them to, not even me. Mm. See, I don't prize obedience. Remember uh, the Nuremberg trials. I was only following orders, right? That was, that was the great defense of so many Nazis in Nuremberg. I will only, I, humanists believe, you've got to think for yourself. You can't let somebody tell you this is right and this is wrong, especially if it goes against what you know. And what you truly believe is, is right and wrong. You know, I talked about the banality of evil in Hannah Arendt. Um, Stanley Milgram, I don't know if you're familiar with his work, uh, Obedience to Authority. I'm not. Uh, it's a, it's a, he, it was an experiment. He was a, he was a um, psychologist. And he did an experiment where people, there were two groups in the experiment. One was in league with him. And the other one were just volunteers who didn't know. And they said, one of you is going to be a teacher and one of you is going to be a student. And they said to the, and the, the real subjects of the experiment were the teachers. The students were in on it. And what they said was, there's a button here. You're going to teach the, every time he gets a wrong answer, the other person gets a wrong answer. You press the button, it's going to give him a shock. And the shocks are going to get more and more severe. And it was astonishing to Milgram how many people, good people, decent people, people who were tortured by doing this. And there were some 
incidents, uh, some question about the ethics of this, because the people, obviously nobody was really getting shocked, but the people who thought they were shocking weren't, many of them were in anguish. And yet when the man in the white coat with the clipboard said to him, you, um, uh, you know, give the shock, they did it. And, and it was a matter of obedience to authority. And, and it's become a seminal work in terms of Holocaust studies because so many Germans who were really not at their core horrible evil people participated in that. And that's why the idea of you must be obedient does not resonate well with me. I, I, I think people, yes, I, I need to obey the traffic laws. If, uh, if I'm in school and my teacher says, now's the time to do this, yeah, I've got to do that. I mean, I understand uh, if a policeman says to me, you know, go around this way, I got to do it. I got to figure that he probably knows what he's doing or she knows what she's doing. And so, you know, that. But um, the concept of obedience is something to me that also has some negative connotations or negative possibilities, because if you obey an authority figure who themselves are telling you to do evil, then that obedience is itself evil. And so that's why one of the things humanists want people to do is think for themselves. Humanism. And, and I am with you, uh, really, one of the things that we've lost over the past 50 years in Christianity is people's ability to think for themselves. God gave us reason. God gave us the ability to, to sit down and have rational conversations with one another. And God also gave us the ability to simply open up his Bible and read it for what it says without having to have someone interpret everything for us. Mm. And we've become really, really lazy Christians over the past 50 years. And we read a lot more about what people say about the Bible as opposed to what the Bible actually says. We also have a lot of people represent Representing the Christian community, they're not representing the Bible. They are out there and they have big names, they have big churches, yes. and people are interviewing them, asking them all these questions. There is no way ever that a person who takes the Christian faith seriously would want their name on a list with any of those men's name at the top. So I agree with you that we do need to be careful about the authority we trust in. People trusted Jim Jones. They trusted him as their pastor. They trusted him as their leader. And eventually he said, I am God Almighty. And they believed him. They trusted him. They never checked the authority. So I'm, I'm with you as far as we need to be careful and yield to the right authority. The question is, who then becomes the ultimate authority? So when God's talking to Abraham and he says, go and take Isaac, he says, take Isaac, your only son, the son whom you love. So it wasn't just take your kid and kill him. God's pressing a point here. Take Isaac, your only son, the son that you love. Point being, God said, this is the kid that you're going to have nations through. Not Ishmael, not Hagar's son. You're going to have nations through Sarai's son, through this promised heir. So when he's walking up to this altar that he's going to build, he has Isaac with all this wood strapped to his back, and he has his manservants there. So he says to them, we're going to go up and worship God, and then we're going to return. He never says, I'm going to go up there and do this thing with my son, and then I'm going to come back, and he's going to be dead. He doesn't say that. Uh, he doesn't try to discuss. He says, we're going to go up, and we're going to return. 
they go up there and like you said, this thing happens and you want to rewrite it. And, and I understand a lot of people struggle with the whole Abraham and Isaac thing. And, and I understand why. The point being, Abraham knew that no matter what happened up there on the altar, he was walking back with Isaac. He had to because God had promised that nations were going to come from that child. Even if God had to stop Abraham, which he did, resurrect him from the dead, which he didn't have to do, even if the servants had to come up and interrupt things through God's sovereignty, any one of those things, Abraham knew beyond a shadow of a doubt when he told those men, we will return, that they were both coming back down that mountain. So, Yes, he had the knife in his hand. Yes, the angel stopped him at the, at, the, at the point when he needed to. Yes, all of those things happened. And I understand where people have an issue with that. And at the same time, he was doing what God told him to, but depending on the promise that this child, the one that you've laid on the wood, bound together and have a knife hanging over is going to be the one that nations come from. But it doesn't convince me. <laughs> which, which is fine. And, and I, don't, I don't want to, uh, you know, one no, thing. listen, you know. Me a long time to come to my beliefs. So, uh, absolutely, absolutely. I don't know. Do you consider yourself uh, evangelical? Uh, I am evangelical. Um, actually, John, if 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 by the end of tonight's conversation you said I want to be a Christian, I would be absolutely thrilled with that. Am I expecting that? Absolutely not. Am I going to try to force it upon you? Uh, absolutely not. Okay, but I am so evangelical. I, I, I'm like it's the same way with me. I would like people to give up religion. I really would. <laughs> but I would never. You know, um, and I'm a very strong believer in the First Amendment, in the mm. Constitution and the First Amendment. The First Amendment too. says, uh, um, uh, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Um, and it also says, uh, nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So right. I'm all in favor of the free exercise of, of religion. But I also think freedom of religion includes my right to be free from religion, if that's what I want. You know, every 99% of every species that has ever existed on Earth is now extinct. I think someday we will join them. We may, if we're fools, be the only species to deserve it, the only species to do it to ourselves. But um, I do think at some point there will be no, no more human beings. And what there will be then, I don't know. I find that wondrous. And that's another thing that sometimes people ask me, uh, being a non-religious and a non-religious uh, person, about, gee, what about, you know, don't you miss having a sense of awe and wonder and things like that? And I say, I have those things. Just um, what, I can, what I am awed by is different than what probably a religious person is awed by, but I still have the sense of awe. The uh, physicist Richard Feynman once said that just because you know how a rainbow comes about doesn't make it any less beautiful. Mm. So I, you know, I, um, I, that's, you know, uh, I have senses, a sense of awe and I, and, and, and a sense of wonder. I, I, I'm, I wonder at, at other human beings, how they're made, how they came about, how they, I find that fascinating. Mm. Uh, there are many things that I find that I'm, 
awed by. I'm awed by um, the way Whit Marsalis can play his trumpet. I mean, wow. I'm awed by that kind of human accomplishment. I'm, I'm awed by people who, you know, uh, use their lives uh, to help other people, uh, you know, and religious people. I'm awed that Mother Teresa went to India to help people with AIDS, and mm -hmm. that was her life. That's, that's fantastic. That's, that's awe-inspiring to me. And yes, awe-inspiring. I have awe. I just don't believe, uh, you know, I, I don't believe in, 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 in uh, any kind of, you know, deities or things like that. But I still have, you know, that awe and sense of wonder. I think that's what kind of what keeps you young in some ways, having that sense of awe, always looking for something new that you say, wow, that's incredible. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Uh, wow. You know, I, 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 I think as long as you have that, that's what kind of keeps you um, connected to the world, is mm -hmm. that sense of awe and amazement at how many people they are and how many interesting people and interesting cultures and, and things like that. I find that that's my sense of, of awe. So you, you realize that, you know, we really are specks of dust uh, and we are stardust. I mean, everything that's on this planet was created by, um, by an explosion of a universe that, so I, um, I don't think of human beings as being the be all and end all. Um, I, I think we are here at this moment in time. Let's make the best of it. Please be kind to each other. Mm. Be decent to each other. We can make this world really good for as long as we're here. Who knows? You know, it's, it's, it's one of the things about being a humanist is the, and, and being a person of science is that you're comfortable with the unknown. I'm comfortable with the unknown. I'm comfortable with, you know, uh, hundreds of millions of years from now, human beings might die out. I'm comfortable with that because I don't know the answer to it. Uh, you know, I accept that there are many things I simply don't know the answer to. I probably never will know the answer to, and that's okay. You know, I don't think uh, uh, we, I need to know the answer to everything. And so that doesn't really, I don't look at it that way. I think, I think human beings are animals, in my view. Um, yes, we are advanced animals, but in my view, we're animals just like all the other animals. And I know, I, I would guess, I think, I, again, we're not trying to put words in each other's mouth, that you wouldn't agree with that, that you would, uh, that, that I think, I think most religious people think that God created human beings as being special in various ways, but that's not how I look at it. Yeah, I, I look at human beings as being like every other animal, um, but we have uh, achieved a certain intellectual ability that comes with that comes with responsibility. Mm. And it's one of the things that humanists really believe is that, you know, I believe in freedom and I believe in, you know, uh, freedom to live your life, etc. But I do think every person has a responsibility to every other person and to, and to uh, every other animal. I think human beings have a responsibility to treat animals ethically. Um, uh, but I do also think that uh, I'm one of them, you know? And, it's, and it doesn't bother me. It actually, to me, it's kind of cool to think that I'm related to 
dogs and sheep and and uh, you know bacteria and stuff like that. <laughs> to me, I kind of feel it's kind of cool. You but know, I understand that that uh, it's a different worldview than yours. Yeah, just absolutely. So I think you are more special than you do. I think that uh, I, I believe with all my heart that not only, I'm a modest created, guy. <laughs> not only were you created, you were created in your mother's womb, knit together by the hands of God, uh, not simply through a scientific process, but God specifically designed you with a purpose. When you were designed, you had all of your proclivities already. I mean, even when you were a zygote, you had all of your proclivities already. Just And it's so you can be who you are today because God designed you to be special. Now, does that mean that God designed every person to be special? Absolutely. Um, basically, humanism is, is best seen as a, a non-religious system of ethics where you believe in the, the full development of each person so that uh, each human being is responsible to every other human being like a big chain. I'm throwing metaphors in there you didn't yes. say. This is just my perspective. So um, in being this huge chain, there is hope for the future that humanity will get better and better as we work together and make progress in areas of understanding and in knowledge. And that expands into areas of, of healthcare and economics. The bottom line is humanists see that the responsibility of the planet we live on and the animals, as you call us, um, that are united together is on us. It is completely on human beings to make sure that tomorrow is a better place because there's nowhere else that, uh, that we can plan that hope. Did I get it right? Pastor Jason, you not only got that right, but you probably said it better than I could have. <laughs> For more content like this, visit us on the web at clcwaverly.com. That's C-L-C-W-A-V-E-R-L-Y. Welcome to Worldview Clash Clash Others. Ah!